So last night, Angela and I went to celebrate our anniversary at a place called Fogo de Chao. I don't know if you've ever been there, but this is a restaurant where people walk around with skewers of meat and continue to slice off pieces of this for you, for your consumption, until you tell them to quit. We should have told them to quit much sooner than we did. But we had an interesting time, and um, while we were there, uh, as we were waiting for our table, they have valet parking. Uh, We didn't choose to use it. But it was interesting watching uh, the cars and the people getting out of the cars. We had to wait for about 15 minutes before we got our table. There were uh, Rolls Royce and Ferraris, Bobby, lots of Ferraris, Uh, Maseratis, uh, cars that I don't even know the names of, but they looked exotic. Uh, BMWs were a dime a dozen. Um, And then we had our Mazda, which was... (laughs) So immediately we knew that it was going to be an expensive dinner. But it was interesting because um, there was a display of material wealth. Not that that's a bad thing. It's great for business, isn't it, Bobby? Yes. But it brought up the subject of uh, our epistle today. Out of 1 Timothy, Paul writes, Of course there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. You can't drive your rolls to heaven. You can try. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pains. See, we have to be careful here because Paul doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. He says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so we might be quick to judge the man getting out of his roles but he may be a very generous, very giving individual. I have no idea. I'd like to think he would be. But still, there are these temptations for those that put their focus on the money rather than the good that they can do with it. And Paul says that while that's the problem, there is a solution. He goes on in that same passage to uh, Timothy. He says, but as for you, man of God, 
Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, Paul tells us in this letter to Timothy uh, what it takes to fight the good fight of faith. He gives us six things that we ought to pursue to effectively mount this campaign of faith in God while we are sojourners, travelers in the world. Six things. He says, first, pursue righteousness. Well, if we're going to pursue it, we should probably know what it is. And righteousness is an attribute that stems from a covenantal relationship. You see, every relationship that we enter into comes with a set of expectations. See, my relationship with Angela, my wife, was entered into with certain expectations. And believe me, she lets me know when I step outside of those expectations. She's not here to defend herself, so that's okay. See, we are in a covenantal relationship called marriage. And in that covenant, we expect certain things from one another. Unconditional love, fidelity, mutual support, encouragement, just to name a few. And that covenantal relationship that we share is also a covenantal relationship with God. And there are expectations in that relationship as well. And some of them, uh, those expectations apply in both places, but there are some expectations that are unique to the relationship with God, such as putting Him first, and not only first, but also in the center of the marriage. When we fulfill the expectations of a covenantal relationship, we call that righteousness. See, righteousness is the fulfillment of the expectations in a relationship, whether with God or with people. It's the application of those expectations, and it is applicable to all levels of society. Whether you drive a Rolls or a Mazda, it still applies. It's relevant in every area of life. See, righteousness is the fulfilled expectations in relationships between man and wife, parents and children, between people in the same church, between employer and employee, merchant and customer, ruler and citizens, and, of course, between God and man. So Paul says that we are to pursue righteousness in our covenantal relationships as part of our good fight of the faith. The second thing he says we are to pursue is godliness. 
I always thought righteousness and godliness were the same, but as I dug into this in preparation for this morning, it's clear that they're not the same. See, godliness is the reverent awareness, the reverent awareness of God's sovereignty over every aspect of our lives. And it's how we choose to honor Him in the way that we act. See, you don't have to wear a a robe or a collar to lead a godly life. The robe and the collar has nothing to do with it. All of us are called to lead godly lives. Godliness is simply the acknowledgement that God is God and we are not. And when we're willing to acknowledge God as sovereign, when we're willing to proclaim Him as Lord over all parts of our life, when we choose to honor Him in the way that we live and move and have our being, then we can say that we are godly people. See, godliness and holiness are aspects of the same character. Godly people are holy people. Holy meaning set apart. Godly people are holy people set apart from the world. And why is living a godly life important? Well, Second Peter 3, starting at verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire. And the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. See, the godliness and holiness of the people of God usher in the new heaven, the new earth, where Righteousness is just the way it is. There's no room for anything else. The godly person is committed to obeying God in the world. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does His will. That's John 9.31. He doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does His will. Now we have to be careful how we analyze that because we are all, one and all of us, sinners. But when we choose to acknowledge God as sovereign, when we choose Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, it opens up the communication channel to our God who hears our prayer. So how do we become those godly people? We become godly through 
knowledge of the truth. Knowledge. Not wisdom. Wisdom is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Knowledge is something that each of us has to learn. Godliness depends on knowing God's revealed truth. And Paul says the knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. And he says godly sorrow leads to salvation. In other words, in your heart, when you come to that place where you understand that you need a Savior and you are sorrowful for all of the things that you have done in your life that were not godly, when you reach that place, then you can begin to open your heart to something that replaces the sin and leads to salvation. So the second thing that we have to pursue is godliness. The third thing, pursue faith. In the good fight of the faith, you have to actually pursue the faith. That seems rather intuitive, doesn't it? But what does it mean? It's by faith that believers are justified. It's by faith that believers are reconciled. It's by faith that believers are redeemed, made alive, adopted into the family of God. It's by faith that we are recreated. It's by faith that we are transported into a new kingdom. And then the last thing Paul says in Galatians 5 is, it's by faith that we are set free. So to pursue faith is to pursue justification, being saved. To pursue faith is to pursue sanctification, which is becoming more like Christ. And to pursue faith is to pursue glorification, which is attaining perfection the way that we were all created to be in the first place. See, the thing about faith, though, is it goes hand in hand with the fourth thing that we're supposed to pursue. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Because love is both the beginning and the ultimate expression of faith. So you can't really have one without the other. So if you pursue faith, you have to pursue love at the same time. There can't be any real separation between faith and works of love. And this love that Paul speaks of is the essential fruit of the Spirit through which a life of faith is lived. And only by virtue of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit does faith find expression in love. In other words, I have to be a believer with the Holy Spirit working in me to even have the ability to love and have faith and live a godly life and be righteous. 
So we have to pursue love along with faith. Love is the foundation of all that has occurred. What do I mean by that? God so loved the world. What's the rest of it? Mm-hmm. That he gave his only son. This is how we know love at all. Christ laid down his life for us. God himself is love. All of that is from the Apostle John in his gospel and in 1 John. We know God loved us. We know God loves us because of the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth as a human being, becoming the the babe in the manger. You would have to love people in order to make that transition, wouldn't you? From most high God to baby dependent on humans for your care. And then we know God loves us by the cross. We know God loves us by the manger. We know God loves us by the cross. His willingness to sacrifice His only Son. And then God the Son being willing to get on that cross in the first place. So because of that, it follows that if you love, then you are born of God. And if you don't love, you don't know God. And if you don't know God, you don't know the message of the gospel. You have to pursue endurance. We pursue righteousness, we pursue godliness, we pursue faith, we pursue love. We have to pursue endurance. See, when we read the New Testament, we see Christians committed to their faith in the face of difficulty. The whole of Christianity was born in this context of hostility and persecution and the death of the Messiah and the deaths consequently of His disciples. And the endurance of Christians in the face of persecution and temptation is the backdrop of the New Testament. You can't read the New Testament without seeing the church enduring a host of things. Fighting the good fight of faith requires endurance. It's not easy being a Christ follower in the world these days, is it? Even in Splendora, Texas, it's not easy being a Christian in the world these days. And yet we are called to run our race with endurance as we pursue the faith. And the last thing that Paul tells us to pursue in the process of running this race with endurance, we also, in the midst of all this persecution and hostility, 
we have to pursue gentleness. That seems really counterintuitive, doesn't it? That in the midst of persecution, we would be called to pursue gentleness. Here's a definition. comes out of the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Sensitivity of disposition and kindness of behavior founded on strength and prompted by love. In other words, the way that we respond to the hostility and the persecution, the way we carry ourselves and the attitude that we portray to the world while gentle, is founded on the strength and the love that we have in our hearts for people, even those that are doing the persecuting and the hurting and the hatred and the anger and the violence. How we respond to that shows the world that we are fighting the good fight of faith. And it's not an easy thing for us to do, is it? Every time I turn on the TV, I ask myself, why do I ever turn on the TV? There is so much hate and anger in our world today. I I think, and I can't be the only one, I think more so than I have ever seen in my lifetime. We have to respond to these things from a heart of gentleness and love. It doesn't mean we have to roll over and lay down like welcome mats, doormats. But through the strength that we have in Jesus Christ, who dwells in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, how we respond to those things speaks healing and love into a fallen and broken world. See, as the representative of God, of Yahweh, King Jesus came in humility and gentleness. And and that King, Jesus, in the flesh... Matthew says, is gentle and humble in heart. This is the same Jesus who entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey according to prophecy. And Matthew says, he enters Jerusalem in gentleness and lowliness. (laughs) 
And if you read any of Paul's letters, you will see him refer to the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So, if the Messiah, King Jesus, can be meek, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength because only in strength and power and glory and majesty can you have it in you to put all that aside, to put yourself low, to humble yourself and put the needs of a hurting and broken world first. And so it's by the Spirit that Christ cultivates that same quality in the people of God, us. We have the ability to not just pursue these six elements of the good fight of faith, but also to actually attain them as we travel this road of sanctification that we call life. So I I hope this morning that you've gotten some very practical theology from 1 Timothy. Six elements that we can pursue and put into practice as we walk by faith, living as travelers in a hurting world. And it's this faith that elevates us up out of the muck and the mire of a so-so dead-end life and lifts us up into the abundant life that Jesus came to give each of us individually personally to you I don't know Debbie I think I've said enough I encourage you this morning. Pursue the good fight of the faith. Understand that through the power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can attain each of these elements. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. You can attain them. You can put them to practice into the world. And then you can do the mission statement and transform the world by the sharing of God's love. That's why we're here. It's why we are the church. Not a church. The church. The body of Christ in motion in the world to do the will of the Father in the work of the kingdom. It's a tremendous responsibility that each of us has. And through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you can accomplish it. The battle's won. The work's been done. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.